Revelation chapter 2, verse 5, and it reads, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstands from its place unless you repent. The words are quite strong um, in this book um, and in this particular verse as God speaks uh, to that church. But the words that I want us to focus on this morning and is going to be the title of today's sermon is first works first works um the words uh really jump jump out at me and they've been sticking to me for quite some time they're two words but they're um they say a lot okay um this month of december we've been touching a lot about passion we've been talking a lot about um, our passion for god and um, so this morning, I wanted us to stir up our passion. That's going to be the purpose. Okay, the purpose is for our passion to be stirred up and for us to do first works or encourage us to continue doing them. We're going to go into exactly what that is. Okay, um, but... I wanted us to really um, go into this and to get in. And my prayer is that no matter where you're at with God this morning, whether you are dry and you you just feel dry on the inside, um, and usually you'll you'll know that because you start feeling a lot of negative feelings. You're not going to be okay. Okay. Um, your, your inner being is dry, or maybe you are filled. Maybe you are filled, but uh, my prayer is that you will be encouraged, that you're spurred on, that things become uh, greater for you, and that um, we're spurred on also to do good works. Amen. So let's get into it this morning. There are three different people, different levels, like I said earlier of people this morning. And um, there are people who have lost their passion for God. There are other people whose passion is actually waning. And there's other people who are, are fine. They're on fire for God. They're good. Um, their passion for God is there. And so with anything that we do or anything that we start, Okay, anything that's good in this life is exciting. Anything that we do, any good habit, any, you know, it, New Year's is coming upon us. New Year's resolutions is a big thing. Anytime we want to start something good, we're excited. We're, we're gung-ho, you know. Um, I've stopped doing New Year's resolutions personally, but... When you do a New Year's resolution, for example, you know, you'll tell yourself, oh, um, you know, husbands say that, oh, you know, this year I'm going to do better with my wife. I'm going to tell her I love her more often. You know, wives are saying, oh, maybe, you know, I'll lose weight or um, I'm going to be a little kinder to my husband. You know, all these types of things. You know, I'm going to eat healthier. 
I'm going to start going to the gym, so forth, right? Some of us, like I said, we do them with such great excitement. We're like, yes, we get ready. We start, you know, we say once the new year comes, I'm going to clean out my fridge. I'm going to get, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to buy my membership and so forth. Do you know that January 2nd is the day that, well, I don't know now because of the pandemic, but usually that, that, that's January 2nd is usually the day you will see that gym full. Full. I don't know if any of you have ever been to the gym. That first week of January, you can't even find a machine because everybody is in there. Why? Because they are so excited to get their new journey for their new year going. Okay. And this is this is how it is when we start new things. You know, this is exactly how it is. And I know some of, a lot of you can relate. And we're all like gung-ho. We said we're, com- we're going to do it. We're committed. Da-da-da. Some people can't get past the first two days. After that, they're done with the gym. They ain't going. Um, they won't see the gym probably till next year, January 2nd of the following year. This is the majority of us. This is not to beat anybody up. It's just the truth of the matter. Um, but what's my point? My point is that all good things are hard to maintain and to keep. They all take work, discipline, and a commitment. But there is a key ingredient that's going to drive the three to keep it going any good thing. Okay. And that key is passion. We need passion to drive the, the, uh, the work. We need passion to drive that discipline, to keep doing the good thing. We need the passion to continue that, to stay in that commitment. Now, when it comes to God, God is not a habit. He's not a new year's resolution. He's not some genie we rub, you know, maybe we'll rub God the right way to get what we want when we want it. But God is good and God is love. God is the one thing that shows us how to love. So that we should also reciprocate that love. And so we need a passion for God. If we don't have that passion for God, then all, you know, our good works are just going to be empty, futile. We won't continue doing them. We can't maintain it. Okay. We won't be able to maintain our relationship with God. And I think that this is one of the things that this particular church was lacking in in Revelations. Okay. Is that passion. And God says it, you know, he says it, um, your first love. If we read the verses before, it says your first, you have left your first love. Okay. Um, and as for the first works, we're going to go into that. Okay. We're going to discuss first works. We're going to discover what they are and their importance of them. Okay. So let's start off with passion. Let's start with passion. How do you fire up? And I want to say it like this, okay? 
Don't let your minds go different directions. But how do you fire up an old flame? You've been in a marriage for a long time. It's been years. How do you keep it going? How do you keep it fresh? Okay, how do you keep it from going deeper and stronger? You know, it's okay. You know, you may not have the same. It won't be the same when you got, when people are young. Um, but when we get old, that love should be deeper and it should be stronger than where we started. That's marriage. And so I'm going to liken that somehow, some way to our relationship with Christ because it kind it, it does mimic that same type of relationship, okay? Um, I, I once met an old woman she, at work. I was helping her um, at my job. And she said this to me. She kind of said it out of nowhere, you know, and, it, and it's, it's, been, it's stuck with me um, since she said it to me. And it was this year. An old woman, you know, uh, maybe 70s or so, maybe almost 80. And she said, um, she asked me if I was married. And I said, yes. She said, you know something? I've been married three times. Um, and uh, her husband's, or her two, first two husbands passed away and she was with her third husband. And she said this about marriage. She said, you know, the strongest marriage are the marriages that mature together and grow together. Then there are marriages that grow people where people grow apart and mature apart. So if I want a strong marriage, I should make sure that I'm growing together with my husband and we are maturing together. And that statement is, is actually quite profound because uh, you go, how do I do that? But if you look at her statement, um, I think of a tree with roots. This is the picture I have in my mind when she was saying that. You know, um, I don't know if you've ever seen, I've seen two trees that have been planted together and their roots, you know, because they're, they're side by side all the time, their roots start kind of encrusting together and so I've seen trees actually twist themselves together and grow up and become one strong tree and this is the picture I had in my mind you know uh, yes we're individuals in a marriage but if we can't neglect one another and then think that oh your marriage is going to be strong we have to mind each other. We have to pay attention. We have to learn each other, right? Learn your spouses. Learn about them. What are their likes? Because those likes and dislikes change over the years. They're not going to be the same. That's something that people don't realize. And the only way to do that is if we spend time with one another. Are we making time out for each other? And so with that, that passion is grows deeper and stronger. It's a mature one, okay? And so when it comes to our relationship with Christ, um, there are some elements um, that are necessary to grow that passion with our relationship with Christ. And some of them are the ones that I've already described, but there's two that I'm going to really outline, okay? The first one, is 
forgiveness or forgiven. As believers of Jesus, we are forgiven. We all know that, right? Uh, we know that the blood of Jesus was shed on the cross, cleanses us from all impurities, from our past, from our pain, from our weaknesses, our infirmities. It's cleansed us, it's grabbed us. It's taken that all away. But something, I believe something sometimes happens along the way because that love, that, that, that love that Jesus showed us is what brought us first into Christ. It's what brought us first into our faith, into our salvation with him. And so what happened to that love? So I want us to look at this story and I want us to fire that up again. Okay. I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know how you're feeling this morning. If, if it serves as a reminder to you, then we praise God. Okay. Um, it's, and this particular story is said three times in the New Testament, but we're going to read Luke chapter 7. We're going to read the version in Luke chapter 7, 36 to 50. And it's quite long. <clears throat> it's quite long. I'm going to go really fast and I'm just going to highlight. Um, I'm highlighting a few verses. I'm saying it fast just because I want you to get uh, the gist of it. But um, I, I want us to grab some points from it, okay? There was a certain creditor. Um, okay, so just a little background. Um, Jesus is um, at Pharisee's house. Now, we've all discussed who a Pharisee is, right? We know who a Pharisee is. He's at a Pharisee's house, and he was invited to have dinner. So he's eating at somebody's house, and he's eating dinner with them. And... Um, Actually, let me see. Let me just go there because I think I might have just. Um... Luke. Seven, verse 30. Um, let's start at verse 36. Then if I read this, I'm just cutting into it. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went to the Pharisee's house and sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought in an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he spoke to himself saying, this man, if he were a prophet, would he would know he, who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. Verse 40. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. Verse 41. There was a certain creditor. This is where I want us to pay attention. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair with the hair of her head. 
You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since I since this time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. Then he said to her, your sins are forgiven. When we stop realizing how much God has forgiven us, we will love little. I want us to take into consideration some of the things about this woman. It's, you know, um, we can go back and do a whole historical thing about the woman and really figure out who she was. But for now, let's just say she's a woman and the scripture says she is a sinner. Now, you can put whatever sin that you want to put for her. But the scripture says that her sins were many, 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 many. So you could think about the worst things that you could think about. She has done them. Okay. Um, and she comes into this home and she touches Jesus. She anoints his feet with the most expensive perfume. Now, in our day and age today, if a bottle of good perfume, decent perfume, is at least $80 to $100 to $300, $400. You could go up to almost $2,000. And the perfume that we buy is actually diluted perfume. The perfume that she is pouring is undiluted. It is pure, which means in today, if it's expensive in her day, it was extremely, extremely expensive. She probably saved up her money and put it away to buy this perfume. It was the most expensive thing this woman had in her possession and she chose to pour it on Jesus. And I want you to think about that action because that is a display of love and passion for Jesus. And because she loved so much, she loved, you know, that love um, is giving your everything. That's how that love is described. You pour your everything on God, everything that you have, everything that you are, everything that she had, she poured it on Jesus because that's how much she loved him. And because she did that, all her sins are forgiven. Today, that love, that power to forgive everything is still here and now. It's for each and every single one of us. No matter what has happened to you in your past, no matter what happened to you this morning, no matter what happened yesterday, that love is new every single day for you. It's fresh. 
It's an outpouring for each and every single one of us. But do we accept it? Do we, do we take it in? And or do we allow it to be poured back out? This is passion. This is passion. Are we pouring ourselves out on God? Do we give it unashamed of who we are? Uh, unashamed of how we are, what our past is like, unashamed, completely unashamed. She did not, this woman did not care. This is passion. She was a sinner, a sinner. You know, some have said that uh, she was, a. I, I'm not really sure. I, I you know, so that's why I don't, I didn't want to say it like that. She might've been a prostitute. Can you imagine? But she poured it all out. And so we stand here as believers. We're believers. And we've been in this maybe for some time. But that same love is still working right now. Whatever pain that we are carrying, whatever it is, if we can allow God to take it, we'll experience that passion. We'll experience that love, but we have to pour ourselves out, thinking that we can do it. You know, that the self-righteousness will block passion. If we think that we can handle it on our own, if we think that it's just all us, everything, because as Christians, we can get so locked up in our works and our good works and in doing and in ministry and in outreaches and uh, doing good things and giving money. Those are all things that are good. But are we pouring us to God? Are, are, are we doing that? Are we doing it with love? Is that love there? Do we understand how much love God has poured out he, he gave his whole life, his whole life. What, what, what do we hold back from God? Because whatever that is, is what's blocking passion. If we're able to let go of it, okay, you will experience passion like you don't understand. And, and that's something that only uh, each, of, each of us knows what that is. And, and I pray to God that you, we are all able to just allow God to just love on us this morning, to allow that power to touch you this morning. Just pour it out to God this morning with the pain, the agony perhaps that, you, that we may have in our hearts, the offense that maybe we have kept just give it to God this morning because he loves you that much. Allow that passion to be restored. Allow that fire to come back. Okay. Allow that fire to come back into your bosom. Allow it to, to come back and fan it back this morning that you have for God. Because if this woman who was poor, and this is all she had could pour it out, how much more us? Hallelujah. My second thing that I'm going to talk about when it comes to passion is our hunger and thirst. It's going to be number two under that, hunger and thirst. When we first came to the Lord, we were hungry and thirsty. 
We wanted God so much. We realized that we were absolutely nothing. Some of us would just lie prostrate in the worship and just lie on the floor because we wanted God so much. But what happened? Each of us has a story. Each of us has a story. But the important thing is that we don't lose that hunger and thirst. So for this particular point, I'm going to go to, I'm going to read John chapter 13 to 14. And we're going to go back to the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, referring to physical water, referring to Poland spring water, this water over here. He said, if you drink that water, you will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Have we become distracted from the true water? Are we so caught up in this water, in the water that we taste, in the water that we can feel? Are we so caught up in that water that we're not drinking from the well of Jesus? Because that well will allow us never to be thirsty in our inner soul, in our inner being, which is where life is. You know, um, or TikTok, you know, for some reason, TikTok is on my head this morning. TikTok and Instagram, they will show you and make you believe that you need Chanel bag, that you need um, food in your refrigerator, all that, you know, they, they, they make you think that you need a big house. They make you think that you're not living your best life. And the truth of the matter is the way that we will live our best life is when we're drinking the water from Jesus. When we have that water, we will be content with whatever we have. And let me tell you something. God doesn't want you to live poor. That is not his intention. God doesn't want that for you because what good is a Christian who can't give? What good? We are meant to give. We're supposed to give. You know, we're supposed to wet everything wherever we go. So that shouldn't be a fear. It shouldn't be something that we get caught up in. It's something that becomes automatic. My favorite, favorite verse, Matthew 6, 33. Matthew 6, 33. That's my favorite, favorite verse. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to go to it because um, it, it's, it's just something that I have always told people. And we, we, can't, we can't allow uh, social media to dictate to us how we're going to live. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to you. Verse 34 says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The water from the well of Jesus will suffice for everything that we need in this life. Amen. 
we can get so worried about um, this life and how we live that we stop drinking water from Jesus. That's why we're so dry. That's why we stop hungering. That's why we stop thirsting for him. King David, um, the psalmist, said it this way to God. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you. O God, my soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This should just consume us. This thought of being with God, of being in his presence, of of enjoying his word, of, of learning from him, of deepening our passion with him. You know, this is what makes marriages strong on this earth. Can you imagine what that will do with our relationship with Christ? If we're thirsting for him, you know, when you thirst for each other in a marriage and you want each other's presence and you purposely make time out for each other, what will happen if you purposely make time out and you thirst and you hunger for the bread of life? The word of God, this word right here, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. That's what he says. I am the bread of life. This bread right here will sustain us. It will keep us. It will give you the wisdom for this world. It will give you the wisdom of how to live in this life. We we will have everything in it. It sounds so cliche-ish because we've overset it perhaps and we've made it mean nothing but I guarantee you that when we eat from this word irregardless of how we may feel in the moment you will feel so good I have been and I can say it as a testimony from my own self when I feel utterly finished when I feel so tired and so consumed I tell my husband, I just need time alone. I need time alone. I need to go and pray. I need to go and meditate because it's the only thing that'll get me back to where I need to be so that I can be the wife that I need to be, so I can be the pastor that I need to be, so I can be the friend that I need to be, so I could be the good worker at work that I need to be in order to succeed in this life. I need that. And I need that time. So that hunger and that thirst has to come back. John 6, 48 to 51 says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. That means physical bread, physical bread, the bread, wonder bread, this bread that you eat. Okay, that bread, they are dead. But this is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The whole entire world has access to this bread that gives life, that, that gives sustenance, that will heal your sicknesses, that will heal your diseases, that will heal your mental aches, that will heal that hurt in your heart and your soul from the past that maybe you have not given up yet. That bread and that water is what's going to do it. And sometimes it takes work. But if you have passion for God, if you have that passion and you believe in it, then you will do the work 
Okay, you will have that commitment to do it because you know that you know that that is the solution for your life. You know that it will help you. You know that it will help you rise from the ashes. That's why the Bible says that we have beauty from ashes. Okay, because it's the only thing that can raise the dead. When things look dead, that God is the only thing that will raise you from the dead. When life gets hard, it's only this word and his water that will help you get up again. No doctor, no person on this earth, no, no, no medicine will be able to do what the bread and the water of God does. Amen. So let's have a hunger and thirst. Let's go back to that, okay? Let's go back to that passion of God and let's fire it up. Let's start, even, even if all you start with is the five minutes. If that's all you start with, that's good. But keep, it, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep making time. Let it, let it just burn, amen? Amen. So I just saw the clock. Let's go on to the second part of this. And that's the first works. First works. What is the importance of the first works? It's what we did at first. What were we doing in the beginning? What was that church doing at first that they stopped? <clears throat> and here, here they are. Praying. That's going to be number one. First works. Praying. These are going to be really basic, but they're very essential. Prayer is like our lifeline. Prayer is our way to communicate with God. Prayer is simply talking to God and then listening back to what he says. It's two ways. Communication is two ways. It's us talking and then us staying quiet, shutting up and listening very quietly to what God has to say. And that means shutting out all the noise. We have to shut the noise out. We have to shut the noise of our inner being and allow God to speak. Because God speaks. God speaks, but we're too loud sometimes. Our emotions sometimes are too loud. And so when we quiet ourselves, we will hear God speak. The Bible says to pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 <clears throat> Number two, spending time in the Bible. Jesus is the bread of life. The word of God is Jesus. When we spend time in his word, we are fed the bread that we need for that day. We need the bread in order to be satisfied with our lives. No matter where we are in life, the word will continue to sustain us. It directs us. It guides us. The word centers us. The whole, this whole entire earth, Everybody's looking for inner peace. Everybody. Everybody's looking to center themselves. They do the, was it Zen? Zen. They do yoga. Yeah, right? Yeah, they do yoga. They do all these things because they're looking for inner peace. They're looking for what they call Zen. The word of God is our center. We will find inner peace in his word. You just sit down quietly for a few minutes and just start reading God's word and you will see how quiet 
we will become. So quiet. You'll just, your mind will even like lock up on God's goodness the moment we start doing that. Grab a verse, meditate. Any verse that speaks to you, just keep rolling it and rolling it and rolling it and rolling it. Don't get, I mean, just let it, let it keep going. Let it speak to you. Allow God to speak to you. Just roll it in your head. If you have to go back and read it, go back and read it. That's why, you know, nowadays, smartphones, you could be at work, go back to your verse that you were doing, and then just roll it again in your head. So easy. You can, if you have the Bible app, you can even put it in your ears and let it just play for you. And it'll just read, read the verses for you. Okay, number three, spreading the good news of God to others, both saved, and I'm going to throw this, both saved and unsaved. We should be sharing God's news both to within the body of believers and to those who are also unsaved. When we share good news of God to each other, we encourage one another and we fire up one another. You never know what somebody may or may not need. And when we're sharing it, when we're sharing God's good news to each other, we help each other, okay, fan it. We help each other fan our inner flame of God, okay? And to the unsaved because they need God. Have you guys ever gotten uh, what's up, uh, this videos that you go, oh, this is really good. Oh, my God, I want to share it with my friend. And you just just forward it, it, it funny videos. You're just a cat punching somebody. You just, well, that's funny. I want to share it. You just, you just click share, right? Facebook, the funny videos, share, share. Oh, I know they're going to like this one. I want to make the laugh. Share. Good news. Why aren't we doing that with Jesus? Why aren't we doing that with God? We know. So all the great things we spoke about today already, the love of God, the how he heals, all, all this good news, salvation. You know, people carry guilt and shame for years and it causes sicknesses in their body. The moment they can lift that guilt and shame, healing will come. Sometimes sickness, that's all it is. It's not it's not anything else. It's just guilt and shame that people have carried. When God comes into the picture, why wouldn't you why wouldn't we want to share that with other people? Why? We should be clicking and sharing that. You know, let people know about God's goodness. Share it. Let them see it in your life. Share it. Spread it. That's how we we um those are the first works. Okay, these are first works. The last one spending time with other believers it's important the church the first church that was a big thing with them they broke bread together they sat together they worshiped together they read the bible together they encouraged one another together enjoy fellowshipping with other christians isolating ourselves from each other is the work of the devil. Isolation is not a good thing. Coming together as many times as possible is God's will. It's God's design. We are meant to fellowship and you want to fellowship with people with the same thinking, with the same mind. Why? Let me tell you something. DC, like DC Comics, gamers, what do they do all the time? 
Don't they like coming to conventions? Why do they join together for conventions? That people dress up in ridiculous costumes to come and meet with other people. And they're happy. Why? Because they have the same mind. They have the same thoughts. I know this person enjoys the comics as much as I do. And as somebody I can share with, they understand me. They get me. Other people don't get me the same way these people can. And so I want to come together with them. The same thing with the body of believers. When when we come together, it's a joy. It should be, it's a joyous moment. It feeds our inner being. It feeds energy about what we believe in. It feeds our faith. It's good for us because we come together and we share thoughts. We share, well, what has God been doing in your life? Oh, it's encouraging me. Let me share what God has been doing in my life. And we're fellowshipping. We're worshiping together. Um, another example of this is musical instruments. Every single person here brings something special. And I want all of us to understand that. God makes us each a special package. Okay. Musical instruments. Each musical instrument that you could think of is actually very beautiful on its own. A guitar. Have you ever heard somebody play the guitar? It's, I, I love it. I love just hearing people play the guitar or a piano. I love, right now, that's my big thing right now. I'm just listening to a soloist play um, Christian um, hymns on a piano. It's so soothing to me. It's like my thing right now. I love it. He just goes and goes, and I just love hearing all the notes. It's just, I just find it so soothing. Awesome. A violinist on a solo. Awesome. But let me tell you something. What happens if we put all these instruments together and do the same song? Is it the same experience? No. Experience is so much different. It's actually amazing when all these different instruments come together and form that band. That music is absolutely out of this world. So what happens when a body of believers gets together and worships and praises God and lifts their hands together? Do you know what that does to God? I mean, it's a beautiful scene. It's absolutely breathtaking to watch a body of believers just praising and loving God together. We should be doing this. We should be getting together. And this is part of first works. And we need to be reminded of this because in this day and age, it's so easy to go left or to go right. And we need to stay down the center and we need to remind ourselves of what those first works are. Amen. So I'm ending here. Every single one of us is special in God's sight. Every single one of us has a story. May each of our story be an aroma unto God. Amen. May we never lose sight of our passion for God. May we never lose sight of first works. This is my prayer this morning. So let's pray this morning. Lord, I just thank you and I give you praise, O Lord God, for all your beautiful people, Lord God. I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you stir up our passion, O Lord God, for you. 
May we be stirred up this morning in our being, Lord God. I sense your anointing this morning, O Lord. May you touch each and every single person, Lord God. May their fire, O Lord God, burn, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. May you remind us, O Lord God, of the passion we have, Lord God, for you. May you stir us up. May we realize that we cannot do this life without you, O Lord God. May we realize how much we need you, O Lord, how much we hunger and our our inner soul, Lord God, thirsts for you, O Lord. May it become unquenchable, O Lord God, in the name of Jesus. And may but those of us who have not been doing first works, may we return, O Lord God, to first works, O Lord God. May we return, O Lord God, to our first works, O Lord, in the name of Jesus. I thank you, O Lord God, and give you praise, O Lord, for all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Over to you, Minister Lily.